I'm back from London, and I want to talk all about it with you this week on Fire Footwear. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Fire Footwear. As always, this is your host, Matt Freights, the Iceman, Matty Ice, whatever it is that you want to call me. I am just glad that you are listening to this as we speak. I'll have to apologize up front. You can probably tell that my voice is not 100%. I got sick right before I went to London. I don't know. Anybody who has kids out there, you'd let me know. If you have kids and they are in daycare, do you find yourself getting sick all the damn time? I cannot get over kid germs. It's something that I've never been able to get over. And I think maybe that was one of the reasons why I didn't want to have kids in the first place is because I knew that I was just going to be sick all the damn time. Every time he brings something home, I generally tend to catch it. And of course, I caught something right before we get on a seven hour flight to London from the DC area here. I lost my voice while we were on the trip or mostly lost my voice while we were on the trip. And it is now just coming back. If you remember last week, I talked about sneaker cities, and that was because I was going to be in what is considered the quote unquote capital of sneakers, and that is London, England. And on this trip to England, there were many observations that I made, and I wanted to talk about them with you. And so if you're listening to the show or you have traditionally listened to the show because it is something that you listen to for sneaker specific content, I will be mentioning some sneaker things here, but really this is my observations about traveling to a country that I've never been to. And I think adding a personal layer to the show is something that's very, very important. So I will give you my observations to the best of my abilities based off of my voice. I just ask that you cut me a little slack this week because I'm not as crisp or as smooth as I usually am. It's been a while since I had flown or even traveled really outside of my home state of Virginia. And traveling abroad is something that I have done in a previous life. I did that when I was, gosh, I don't know, 23 years old, right out of college. My mom took me on a cruise. We were there for 12 days. It was wonderful. I got to go to a lot of cities in a lot of countries that a lot of people don't generally get to go to. I've been very lucky in my life to be able to see a lot of the world or more of the world, I think, than a lot of people do. And it dawned on me while I was there that that perspective is very important. And I think for many, many years, I'd kind of forgotten about that. And as it relates to sneaker culture, I think we in the United States, which I assume many of the people listening are in the United States, if the numbers are correct that I look at every single week, I think we sometimes forget that sneaker culture extends beyond the United States. And going to another country and thinking about it in terms of sneakers, it definitely, for me, reminded me that sneaker culture not only exists outside of the United States, but is different outside of the United States. And so it was good for me to kind of gain that perspective. But it also gives you a perspective on how things are in this country and just how different they are around the world. The world is not always the way that it is in the United States. I mean, that's an obvious statement. If you watch the news in any capacity, you know that the world is different in many different places. If you go to the Middle East, it's very, very different. Culturally around the world, there are many different cultures, many different styles of living. And that's kind of what makes humanity so great, in my opinion. Sure, there are a lot of things that we don't like about other cultures. There's a lot of things we don't like about our own culture here in America. But it doesn't mean that they're bad. It doesn't mean that they're not worthy of inclusion. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't recognize the things that make them special and unique. And that was one of the things I took away the most about going to England. And one of the other factors that's interesting is there's a lot of similarities. 
And when you go to a lot of different countries, you don't see that kind of similarity. But remember, the reason that the United States is here is because the English came here and colonized these lands after Christopher Columbus did what he did. And we're not going to get into that. That is a whole different ball of wax. But the British colonies, the original 13 colonies, I am born and raised in one of those colonies in Rhode Island. And there's a lot of English influence here. As we were planning for this trip and we're deciding where to go and we're looking at all of the destinations that we might be able to hit in the very limited time that we were there, I made a comment that almost all of these cities that you're talking about passing are either a Connecticut, Massachusetts or Rhode Island city. And that's true. And as we get into London, we get into the airport. And I have to say that my little man, he was wonderful. He absolutely blew me away in terms of expectations of how he was going to be. I will fully admit that I had a lot of anxiety heading into this trip. I really didn't know how he was going to respond to having his entire life really thrown in chaos, to be perfectly honest with you. He got on that airplane and he was a champ. He took those headphones, he took his blanket, he took his pillow. He watched cartoons for six and a half hours and he didn't say anything negative. He was amazing. He didn't whine. He didn't cry. And I have to say, I was extremely proud of him. But it is a long flight and it was an overnight flight. So he didn't sleep. I didn't sleep. My wife got a little bit of sleep and we get off this airplane after a long day of travel or a long night of travel. And we are thrust into the city that we've never been to. One of the other wrinkles about this trip that was fascinating is that my wife and her brother decided that they were going to rent cars. And it made a lot of sense because we were going to be traveling to a town on the eastern side of the country called Grimsby. So we needed that car. And if we wanted to go see things like Stonehenge, we were going to need to drive. So we get the rental car and it's completely different. You're driving on a different side of the road. And it was a two-person job. It was an, a legitimate two-person job. And it was really interesting. And honestly, it was almost like an adventure. When you're sitting in the car, there are so many things that we take for granted when you drive in this country and you become so comfortable. I mean, I've been driving for almost 30 years now. Gosh, that makes me feel old to hear that, but I've been driving for a long time. And so there's things that your muscle memory just sort of picks up. So that was an adventure in and of itself. But as we're driving through, going to the hotel, and then we get to the hotel, we unload our things, and we go out to do some exploring. We went to see St. Paul's, we went to see the Globe Theater, or what is the renewed Globe Theater. And you're looking around, and my wife says, you know, I feel like I'm in, a, in an American city. And I'm like, there's a reason why you feel that way, because much of this is what we see in the States. And London to me felt very akin to say a New York City, not with the same hustle and bustle, at least in most of the areas that I went to, but just in its look and feel. A lot of diversity, a lot of history, a lot of culture, and that's what I took away there. But in terms of England, there were so many things that I loved about the country. First of all, every single person was friendly, and maybe that's, that's not the way that it actually is, but I didn't meet somebody who was mean. I didn't meet anybody who was overtly hateful toward Americans. It was actually great. I mean, I just felt like people were very nice. And I think one of the areas where I saw and felt that the most was in customer service. And I've worked customer service. I've worked with the people. It sucks. When you work retail, people can be terrible. And I sometimes find myself making sure that I almost don't act that way to the point that maybe I don't get what I need sometimes if I'm not being given the service that I need. But I think back to those days where sometimes you're treated like crap. And out there, the customer service was so amazing. And I think in kind, you generally tend to be a lot nicer and be a lot friendlier. And I think that back and forth that you have is better. It's nicer when there's positivity. So I definitely took that from there. One of the other things that was amazing was the transportation. And in terms of taxis, 
what an experience. In New York City or any type of big city, hailing a cab, and it's different now with Uber, but hailing a cab used to be impossible. Cab drivers were always in a hurry. You never really developed a rapport with them. You never really felt safe in a lot of ways. I mean, I remember being in a New York City cab, gosh, about 10 years ago, maybe 13 years ago, and the guy was driving on the sidewalk. It was insane. And you think, oh my God, how am I going to survive this ride? These taxis are amazing. You have a queue. Everything is a queue. You don't wait in line there. You queue. And it's very, very structured, very, very sophisticated. And you get in there and there's a professional behind the wheel. I learned while I was there that you have to have three years of training in order to be a, an official cab driver in London. And those people know where they're going. And it was just a really great experience. They made sure that you were getting dropped off where you needed to. They made sure that my son was all situated. We obviously didn't have the car seat in the taxi. So that was something that was amazing. The other thing that stands out to me, and maybe this is the reason why I'm fat or I'm overweight, the chocolate there, specifically the Cadbury chocolate, is second to none in any other place in the United States. Cadbury chocolate in the United States is good, don't get me wrong, but when you go there, it's almost like going to the source and the quality of it is just far and away better than it is in the States. And so we came back with a lot of chocolate, a lot of candy for people because a lot of people knew that difference is real. And the amount of candy that I ate while we were there was just absolutely obscene and I can definitely feel it. So I'm gonna have to get back into the gym, I'm gonna have to get back to eating better, but that can wait until I've come down from this trip. That was a lot of the similarities, a lot of the things that I liked. Obviously the food was great, being able to see a lot of the sites, going to Westminster Abbey, seeing Big Ben, seeing Parliament, all that kind of stuff. All of that was great. One of the other things that I really took away from this trip too was how much I've gotten into photography and love photography. You know that I have a camera because I do some YouTube work on this channel, which you can find in the show notes, of course, as always. But I really wanted to learn how to get into photography. And I've done a lot of learning of how to be creative since I started this podcast. And honestly, since I started podcasting in 2020. And one of the things that I haven't really gotten into is photography. Well, I bought a camera for myself around my birthday and I started to learn about it, soaking myself in YouTube videos and all that. And I took the camera with me. And honestly, that was probably the highlight of the trip was being able to take photos and now being able to come back and use Photoshop and really make them special. And I've been providing those photos to my family. It's been awesome to sort of relive that and see the types of photos that have been taken and things that caught my eye. Another awesome thing was my niece who's 14 years old. She wanted to learn how to use it. So I gave her the camera for part of a day and I got to see the kinds of shots that she was taking. It's really cool to see what other people see. And that's again, that perspective thing that I think is so important. Differences though, obviously we both speak English, but they use a lot of different terms for things that we do here. One of the things that got me was when we visited family in Grimsby, they were talking amongst themselves and one of the cousins of my wife, he works the night shift and I guess he sleeps during the day. And his mom, who he lives with, apologized because she said, I waited as long as I could until I had to hoover. And it dawned on me exactly what that meant, that she was talking about vacuuming. Hoover is obviously a popular company, a very longstanding company in vacuums. And using that word is almost like the same as Zamboni. Zamboni is the company, it's not the machine. And so that has sort of been adopted as the verb that describes that activity. Same as Xeroxing something back in the 90s. Obviously Xerox is a company, it is not a photocopier. So those are the kinds of differences in language. And sometimes you had to stop and think, what are they trying to say? What are the English equivalents in terms of American English? The size of the homes and the houses. Houses here in the United States, depending on where you live, are really, really big, or at least on average, really, really big. Obviously, it depends on where you live. It depends on what you can afford. I certainly don't live in a mansion, but I don't live in a very, very small house by any means. I'm very lucky in that aspect. But I will tell you what, man, when you are 
Driving through England, I'm pretty sure every single house is the same exact size, the same exact look, made out of the same exact materials. It's absolutely unbelievable. Even the brand new homes, you can't tell that they're brand new because they all look the same. And there's something to say about that conformity. I think sometimes in the United States, we get really stuck on status. What do I have versus what somebody else has? And in sneakers, we definitely get into that a lot. When you talk about the collecting, we talk about rep versus retail. There's very much an us versus them mentality. And that's a concept I brought up a lot. I didn't get that feel when I was there. Now, it certainly does exist because class warfare is going to exist no matter where you are. But as a tourist, I did not feel that. So I think that looking at all the houses and realizing, man, they all look exactly the same. It was just funny to me. I'm a huge coffee drinker. I'm not sure I've mentioned that on the show, but I'm a huge coffee drinker. I consider myself a connoisseur. I love a lot of great coffee. I can't stand Keurigs. I can't stand instant coffee. When you go to England, coffee is not the caffeinated beverage of choice for them. It is tea. I like tea. Don't get me wrong. I'm not somebody who hates on tea. But when it comes to my morning beverage, tea is not going to cut it for me. And it wasn't something that dawned on me until we got there. And I realized finding coffee could be very difficult. Now, thankfully, some Americanized businesses have made their way overseas, which, of course, is going to happen. When I was in Barcelona in 2006, I saw not only a McDonald's, but a Dunkin Donuts. And it was just how is that possible? But Starbucks has made their way over there. So I did have some options if we were able to find a Starbucks. But drip coffee is not something that really exists. So I found myself drinking a lot of lattes, which is not something I do here in the States. It's a lot of empty calories. It's very tasty. But the lack of drip coffee was interesting. And if you wanted just a plain black cup of coffee, which is how I take my coffee, it was instant coffee. And I will admit, I almost made a face the first time I heard it. However, I did not because you're in somebody else's country. So you have to make sure that you don't offend. I mean, you're not in your home. But the instant coffee is actually not that bad. The first time I tried to make it, I didn't know how to make it. Used way too much. It tasted nothing like coffee. I don't know what the hell it was that I drank, but I drank it to be polite. The next time somebody actually made it who knew what they were doing, it tasted a lot better. So that was something interesting. Food, obviously, is a big thing when you go to Europe. At least it is for me. Food's a big thing whenever I go anywhere. I mean, you travel in the United States, you travel to a place like New Orleans, you're going to go there for specific kinds of food. But when I went to England, there were certain things that you find on the menus everywhere that you don't find in the United States. Breakfast is a very, very different thing in England. There are foods that are eaten at breakfast that are not eaten in the States, or at least not regularly in the States, where they're called something else. Their bacon is different. Their sausages are called bangers. They have baked beans on toast with their breakfast. Those are the types of things you don't really see very often. So a traditional English breakfast, which I had a couple of times, and I had a homemade one, which was absolutely incredible. Oh, and the other thing is they have hash browns with every meal, and those hash browns to me were amazing because they kind of tasted like McDonald's hash browns, which I've always loved. And I think that goes back to when I was a kid. So breakfast there was amazing. The weather was obviously very different than it is here. We left Virginia and it was probably in the mid 60s. We get there and it's in the high 40s and it's rainy, it's cloudy. But we did have some spectacular days. But an English summer is nowhere near what our summers are here in Virginia. So that was one of the differences. As I was traveling around London, I kind of got the same feel. Like when you look around, you see a lot of diversity. You see a lot of what look like regular people. In terms of sneakers, when I'm looking down at people's feet, I didn't see a lot of hype. I saw a lot of what I consider retail shoes. What I brought on the trip were my Yeezy 700 V2 Statics. That was a great, great shoe to bring because it just, it looks good, obviously. And it's very, very comfortable. And then I brought some New Balance 9060s that I had purchased specifically to go on this trip because you don't have a lot of room to pack. And as a sneakerhead, obviously, one of the first things you think is what shoes am I going to bring? But this trip was not about fashion. It was about function. 
And so I wanted to bring some shoes that looked the part, but also were going to hold up because we were going to be doing a lot of walking. I didn't see a lot of that as you're walking around. Here or there, maybe you'd see some things that stood out to you. Nothing super hype. I did not see one Travis Scott shoe while I was there. I didn't really see even a lot of Nike Dunks. It wasn't until my wife and I decided to go to Oxford Street, which we decided to go there after sightseeing one day. That is like a completely different part of the city. And if you're listening from England and you're from London, you probably already know that. It was mob down there. And the amount of hype that I saw just walking down Oxford Street to get to the Nike store, that was the only place that I went because I don't do crowds very well. I can get a little claustrophobic in really, really large suffocating crowds that you don't have an out in. And when I was looking down, I think I saw four pairs of Ama Manier fours. And in my mind, I wondered to myself, I wonder which ones of these are real. Maybe they all are, maybe they all aren't. I don't really care when you're looking at them on foot. It's very, very difficult to tell unless you have a real one next to it. But I just noticed that when you get down to that part of the city, and maybe that's something that I didn't do enough of was going to a lot of different parts of the city. But for the most part, I saw a lot of regular people and I saw a lot of diversity. I talked earlier about the international nature of sneaker culture, and that was something that I hadn't really thought of until I got there. But as I'm walking around and I'm looking at the different types of people, I'm looking down and I'm seeing some Sakai shoes. And I noticed that they're on Asian people. I don't know where they're from. I'm not sure if they're from China, Hong Kong, Japan. But you see that and you realize, I wonder if accessibility is different in some places versus another. That maybe Sakai releases are super, super hype here, but they're not seen as quote unquote hype in Japan. I'm not really sure if that's the case, but I did meet some of our English family, our English relatives. It turns out that my wife's uncle is a big sneakerhead. He's about my age. He's probably like 42 years old. He has a niece and a nephew who are both into sneakers. And it's really, really funny because one of them just turned 20 years old and she was asking me about some things and we're talking about shoes. And I showed her the Instagram account for this page, which is at Fire Footwear Pod. And she's scrolling through it and she sees a post that I made a long time ago and I'm wearing the Stussy Cherry Dunks. Now, I will fully admit, and I probably have admitted on the show, that I have some fake pairs of shoes because some of the old, old Dunks that you just can't get anymore, I like to have them, I like to wear them. I don't care if I keep them in pristine condition because they're for wearing. I don't really care. I'm not a collector. And she looks and she's like, these are the Stussy Cherry Dunks. Like, I've always wanted these, which is funny because she's 20 years old. I'm not even sure she was born yet. She might have barely been born when these dropped. So I'm not really sure how she knows about them. And that's kind of a, an interesting peek behind the curtain. And I want to think more about that. But then she's like, how did you afford those? And I told her they were fake. And man, the entire conversation changed and the judgment that came out. But then when you talk to somebody who's a little bit older and you hear about the accessibility issues, you hear about the fact that, yeah, you know what? My parents didn't have a lot of money. I couldn't buy a lot of sneakers. And now that I'm older and I can afford things, I appreciate so much more of the culture. And I go and I buy the shoes that I remember as a kid that I couldn't get. And sometimes accessibility makes it hard for people. I think we in the United States a lot of times say, well, if you can't get it and you don't get it on the drop, just move on because there'll always be another shoe. And while that is true, it isn't always the case for a lot of people. The international nature of sneakers now make it so that there's so many people. And it just, it never really occurred to me that when you go to a sneakers drop that there are people in other countries going for this. I always assume that it's people in my home country of the United States, not always the case. And sometimes they don't have access to these shoes whatsoever. And so the rep market, while definitely a polarizing issue, and again, I was somebody who was steeped in it. I learned a lot about shoes. I learned a lot about how shoes are made. And I learned to appreciate a lot of the old school shoes because they are almost impossible to recreate perfectly. And so those old school dunks like the Stussy Cherries, like the Tiffany's or the Diamond Supply Company, those are grails for a reason. They're amazing. 
And so for somebody to be half my age, literally half my age, to judge me on a shoe that she probably wasn't even born for is fascinating. And then when you talk to the younger people, and it's always the old versus young debate, but you talk to certain people, they recognize Jordans not because of Michael Jordan. And I realized that turning 40, I've actually gotten old in this game to the point that I remember when Michael Jordan played. And that's a very, very, or it's a lowering percentage now of sneaker culture, I think, over time. And I think as you get older, you start to appreciate more of those memories that you have, the connection that you have. I don't know if a lot of younger people have that connection. And I don't think that that's specific to the UK or specific to the United States. I think in the United States, it feels a little more hurtful because Michael Jordan obviously played in the NBA and that is a uniquely American product. And he was a celebrity. He was like the best player that ever played. And so I'm not sure how much exposure they got in the 90s in the UK to Michael Jordan because basketball really wasn't very big there. And the NBA, not until the Dream Team, really hadn't grown to this conglomerate that was really international. And I think the Dream Team coupled with Yao Ming really made the NBA the international presence that it is. Because young people are becoming so much more distanced from Michael Jordan, it always fascinates me when they are able to connect with a shoe that came out so long ago. And I'm always fascinated by that. And I wonder what drives it. And I think today what drives it is hype. When you go to the rep market, and this is one thing, no matter how you feel about wearing reps or buying reps, that's not really the argument we're having here. But there's one thing that I always understood about the rep market is that if you want to know what young people or just sneaker culture is really about, you go to the rep market to see the kinds of shoes that are selling and the clip that they are selling. And one thing that I've noticed is that old school dunks, old school SB dunks really don't have that much of a place there. I have some of them that I've purchased because I just want that shoe and I like it. I'm very, very happy with the quality. If anybody asks, I always cop to the fact that they're not real and these shoes are in some cases 20 years old. So duh, and I don't really care. But young people really aren't into those dunks because I just don't think they understand the culture behind them and they don't understand the history behind them. And yet I get judged by this. So that was something that was very, very funny. But even talking to some people, you're talking about Yeezys now and Yeezy was an international brand and and I had a pair of those on and I was talking with my older relative and they were saying how Yeezys were very difficult to come by. And so the first Yeezy he owned was a fake because that was the only thing that he could get. And this is a guy who works on an oil rig and he has to use his phone and computers while he's on this oil rig to try to get shoes. And I'm like, the dedication is amazing. And that's another thing. Sneakerheads, no matter where you come from, no matter where you're listening or where you live, we are all the same in that endeavor. Many, many of us love the same thing and we love the shoes. And I think that that is something that is amazing. It's a connectivity that we have to each other that I think we need to always remember. And honestly, I think we forget that sometimes. And traveling overseas, being out of my comfort zone, being out of my element and talking to people who have a different perspective, I understood that the sneaker game is not unique to America. The way that we participate in the sneaker game is unique to America, but there's lots of facets to sneakers that I think are amazing. And I was reminded of the thing that I love the most and what got me into it and back into the culture is that there is something for everybody, no matter where you live and no matter how you live, there is something for you. Maybe it's not a hype Travis Scott release. Maybe it's not an off-white release, but there is something for you. And I have come to understand that and learn that and embrace that more to where my sneaker pickups have been very bland. They've been very plain. I've been looking at a lot of Air Max 97s. I've been looking at a lot of New Balances, Air Max 1s. These are not hype shoes, folks. These are shoes that are out there. They're available. They're fire. And I think that I'm going back and appreciating the simplicity of the game while understanding where we have come 
and my participation is just changing. It's always evolving. To be honest, it was an amazing trip. It exceeded my expectations and I was able to really take in a culture and a country that I had never been to. I saw a lot of things. I experienced a lot of things. I had great moments with my family, great moments with my son and my wife. And I will never forget those. And I'm so glad that I was able to share those with you. And if you're still listening at this point, I didn't forget this is a sneaker show. Every week I try to do release of the week. It's not always hype. It's not always big. It's just something that sort of catches my mind. And this week we are going to focus on a Jordan NBA PE. If you are familiar with the NBA, you know who Jason Tatum is. He is the star player for the Boston Celtics, probably a top 10 player in the league. If you're talking about the entirety of the league, he recently came out with the Jordan Tatum one, and that is his own specific player edition. And he is a Jordan brand athlete. I will say this about Jordan brand shoes in terms of PEs. They are always unique. Some of the Nike ones aren't unique. Like when I look at the LeBrons that are coming out, the LeBron 20s and the John Morants, I don't see that much difference. There's not a lot of uniqueness to them. The Jordan Tatum ones, I have to admit, are pretty damn fire. And on the 15th of April, the St. Louis colorway is coming out. And this is just an absolutely crisp fire shoe. White hits a university red, hits a university blue. It's just a really clean looking shoe. And I like the unique nature of it. It's a technical shoe. Obviously, it's made for NBA play or basketball play. And I think you could actually style this and make it look good. But I wish they would take this colorway and put it on some of those shoes that I like. I'd love to see it on an Air Max 97, maybe even an Air Max 1. They're not colors that are unique. You see them all over the place. Just the combination of these on this shoe is just absolutely fire. So if you are in need of a basketball shoe that is 100% fire, this pickup is for you. And that is my release of the week. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I'm so glad that you stuck with it through me. But what are some other topics that you'd like to hear on the show? How about the YouTube channel? I'm always looking for people to reach out to the show. I'm always looking for ways that I can extend the content to connect with you even further. If you want to connect with the show, Instagram at FireFootwearPod is the handle. I mentioned that earlier. You can always find me there. The show is on Facebook. Just search FireFootwear, a sneaker podcast. If you want to find me on Twitter, shout out to somebody who just recently followed me on Twitter at Maddie Ice Freights. They reached out. They told me they were from London. They gave me some places that they thought I should go. It was at the end of my trip, but it really made me feel good. And I'm so glad that they found me there. If you want to follow the show, though, on Twitter at FireFootwearPod is the handle to do that. I mentioned earlier the YouTube channel. You can find the link for that in the show notes. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I want to do there, but go there, give it a follow. So you're going to be right there when that content comes out. If you are listening on Apple and Spotify, do not forget to hit follow. Do not forget to hit rate on Apple. We are so very close to 100 followers. So if you could hit that follow button, get to that milestone, just keeps the show growing. If you have any questions or comments for the show and for me, firefootwearpod at gmail.com is the email address to do that. Please visit the Maddie Ice Media Network homepage, maddieicemedia.com to find not only this podcast, but other ones such as the Iceman and Coach Sports Show. We're going to be making some big announcements over the next couple of weeks, so definitely stay tuned there. Political football and the manual, you can find those wherever you find your podcast. As always, folks, I hope that this finds you well. I hope that this finds you safe. I'm so very, very happy to have you on this ride. I'm happy to be back. Hopefully next week my voice will feel better. If not, though, I'm always going to bring you that fire content. So until next week, this is Fire Footwear.
The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Fire Footwear are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Fire Footwear is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.